What's snazzy, my pips? It's your noppy, sloppy, off the cobby radio host with the absolute most. Your butter and egg man with jams and toast. It's Wolf the Dog. If you're not yet big, then you may be a grower, because I'm blowing your wig from my radio blower. Here on 694.2 PTBP, the internet's oldest and only radio station. This installment of Howlin' with Wolf is from the Duck Man in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. They write, To the boys of best Korea, Wibble Wobble Dingle Chungus, Wombo Dingo Tringus, and a whole lot of love to you, Wolf, for introducing me to the magical musicians of Missouri known as Kudzu. No backbone is the bee's knees. You're the top dog in my books, Wolf. Keep up that good work, and I hope you find some extra good scraps in tonight's trash can. You shred it, Wheat! Remember, if you want to write up something for your wolf to howl, tag us on the internet. Uh-uh, fuck Mark Zuckerberg. Or write a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All the links are in the damn show notes like they always have been. Why don't y'all take a look for one second? I'll wait. I found a handy-dandy little book here of common phrases used back in the 1930s to set the stage for the special presentation I have for you today. So, uh, shake a leg, split with those getaway sticks, and grab a swell glass of city juice with your meat paws. In my cave, it's all wet to be dried out, so double down on your dog soup. I might be behind the grind. But these fine expressions from the time of Great Depression, they align with Wolf's obsessions. Now, time to perform my midnight profession. So unwind from uniform strife and oppression, and mainline this newfangled warm life lesson, it's Grady Philip Drug with Real Life. Life surreal in retrospect a dream. Easy times feel less than serene in the moment it's hard to Moment of silence, 30 seconds of silence for our nearly departed dipshit in the Oval <laughs> Office. <laughs> I said silence, Joe. Don't make jokes, Zach. That's that's thirty, right? <laughs> that was squirming. <laughs> Zach, Zach, before you clarified Oval Office when you said nearly departed dipshit, I thought you were talking about Luke. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> uh, who Scott is our? He is our dipshit. We love him a lot. 
Oh, we miss you, Luke. Luke isn't here with us today, but who is with us today is a man who I've spent a lot of time listening and listening to and learning from about Call of Cthulhu and other horror gaming in general, uh, Mr. Scott Dorward, whose credits include working on Cubicle 7's World War Cthulhu line, let's see, working on Dead of Night, Cthulhu Dark, uh, Pulp Cthulhu's first campaign, The Two-Headed Serpent, and of course, he is one of the good friends of Jackson Elias over on the absolutely delightful podcast, The Good Friends of Jackson Elias. Thanks for joining us, Scott. Oh, well, thank you so much for inviting me, Zach. This is a great pleasure, and I am looking forward to putting you through hell. (laughs) That's what we like to hear. Yes, I'm all about it. Love being on the other side of it. Uh, can you uh, give us a give us a quick rundown of who you are for the people listening at home and and what you do? Yes, okay. Or I can just say everything I just said again. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I I can introduce myself. I, I'm a big boy. Uh, so, uh, yes. <laughs> So, yes, I, I'm Scott Dorwood. I am a writer and editor who uh, I've worked primarily on Call of Cthulhu products, but done work on a number of other RPGs. Uh, I do a bunch of podcasting, um, as well as the good friends of Jackson Lies, which Zach mentioned. I'm also a cast member on the How We Roll podcast and uh, semi-regular on Ain't Slayed Nobody. So, um, yeah, I, I, I am, <laughs> I, I get around, but yes, <laughs> well, we're glad to have you as our bedfellow this evening running the bleak prospect here to lead our nightmares. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. This scenario bleak prospect comes from the chaosium publication, nameless horrors, which was the first book that, um, Matt Sanderson, Paul Fricker and I, the good friends of Jackson lies did for chaosium some years back. And yeah, this is, it's, it's not a happy scenario, but I'm sure we can find a few laughs in there, even if they're just sort of bitter laughs of despair. <laughs> Perfect. You can rely on us for those, for sure. <laughs> Excellent. So the scenario takes place in November of 1932. The setup is that you are all residents of the same shanty town on the outskirts of a town called Crawley in Massachusetts. The residents of the shantytown, or Hooverville, as it's often known as, are all people who have fallen through the cracks of society in the Great Depression. The Great Depression has been going on for a couple of years now, and things are bleak. This shantytown is perhaps a little more afflicted than most, however, because... As well as the normal depredations of poverty and homelessness, you're also having to contend with a mystery disease that is going through the camp as well. The illness is... Yeah, is proving hard to pin down. Dr. Coombs, who we'll get to in a moment, has been doing some work on trying to research it and understand it and maybe find some way of of helping the people afflicted. The main symptoms seem to be lethargy, 
um, muscle wasting, perhaps uh, flaking skin, and yeah, just general sickness. People are just run down. The the effect on the camp is varied. I mean, some people, like the player characters, are very much in the walking wounded category. I mean, they're still functioning, even if they're not feeling tip-top. Others, however, are beginning to suffer quite badly. And there are one or two, in fact, one in particular, who we'll come to when we introduce Dr. Coombs, who is doing very badly indeed. On top of all this, there are all sorts of weird stories going around the camp. I mean, there are a few kids who live in the camp and they tell odd stories of how there are things going on at night that people have been seen in the camp at night who don't live there. Strange people, people who don't have faces. But this is the kind of story that that kids tell, so I'm sure there's nothing to it and you have nothing to worry about. You usually don't in these kind of games. (laughs) (laughs) and i think this probably gives us a good opportunity to introduce the play characters uh shall we go around in turn and just say who you're playing and what has brought you to living in the shanty town do you want to start zach my name is frederick mellon the first and i've been living in this hoover town pretty much since its inception i was very, very bitter old man, just living in the city, scrounging about my way, spending my time sending my fingers into another man's pockets, and just trying to get by as best that I could. But now, now I live in the same world as everybody else, and it's nice. They've seen my side of things, and I'm showing them the dark ways of the world as well. So, I'm here in this little Hooverville just trying to teach my fellow man how to scrape by by digging into all those around who have so, so much. Because the world, it's a terrible fucking place. But if you put a smile on... You just forgive and forget about it. Then everything's going to be okay. Okay, all right. Hey. (laughs) Perfect. Can we see if Zach's character has a face? (laughs) 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 I'm not entirely convinced that it's not just a mask or painted on, but yeah, he has what appears to be a face. Um... So, Joe, do you want to introduce your character next? Sure. <clears throat> I'm a, Say exactly uh, what I said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm Frederick Mellon the first. Uh, fuck, this is embarrassing. <laughs> I'm a burglar. <laughs> um, shit. <laughs> uh, don't you hate it when that happens? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm Nathaniel Coombs. I'm, uh, I'm the local, I guess, doctor around here. I, I was the... I was the head of the the Bentham Hospital back in the day, and uh, then the then the, the crash hit, and I uh, I fell with it, man. I uh, I ended up right there at the bottom, and uh, if things weren't bad then, I I got I got sick. I got this thing. I got this thing. I just can't figure out. It's it's making me. It's 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 giving me blackouts. I I I, I, I can't find the will to move around. Some days. I, 
it's just I, and I, and everybody here everybody seems to be getting it and I just I can't I can't figure it out I, I I just I wish I was better I wish I could just figure it out I wish I could help them all but I I just can't I can't get it I don't I don't know what it is I uh, I spend my day doing what I can with nothing and uh, my my old protege Dr Cavendish he comes and helps sometimes and. There's, of course, uh, Billy. He, he keeps everybody's spirits up around here as much as he can, but I just, I wish I could, I wish I could lick this thing. I don't know what to do. Nice. Lethargy? Blacking out? Do I have this disease? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Whoa, and finally. Yeah, uh, if, if you've been hanging around the shantytown a while, you probably know me. Uh, I'm Thomas Dolan. My story's not too dissimilar from from Nathaniel's, uh, from Doctor Coombs. Um, I was doing I was doing good um, before before the depression. I had worked I had worked my way out of out of poverty. I'm a second generation uh, Irish immigrant, and I, I built more than than my father had before me. I did it straight, unlike a lot of people in my neighborhood, and things were going good. I weathered the storm a little better than most. I was I was crawling my way back up. I was almost almost living like normal again. And then, like Nathaniel, I came down. I came down with this sickness, uh, and it just took everything from me. It weakened me. At that point, it was almost like my partner, my business partner, was energized. He he started succeeding in, in everything I failed at and um, well he's got the business now and here I am sitting with all of you so yeah I just I kind of want to help the doctor here in any way I can because what's what's eating away at me on the inside is eating away at a lot of people in this camp and it's not right nice well it is a cold November morning The camp is beginning to come to life. People are getting up and about and performing their morning routines such as they are. There's a group of people who are out making a campfire where they're going to boil up some used coffee grounds and possibly some old roots they've dug up to make what passes for coffee around here. There are a few people who are cooking what supplies they've managed to salvage or, uh, in some cases, buy uh, to make some breakfast. And in the medical shack, Dr. Coombs is busy looking after a patient. For the last couple of days, you've had Harold Priestley there. He is a former journalist uh, who worked at the Crawley Examiner. But he and his wife have been at the camp for some time. And Harold, out of all the patients you've had here, has been the worst hit with whatever this disease is. This morning, you're fairly certain that this is going to be his last day. His breathing has been extremely labored. You can hear, oh, maybe what sounds like a death rattle in his lungs, but it's not quite like any death rattle you've heard before. It doesn't have that wet, phlegmy sound. It's a more dry, rasping rattle, which seems to correspond with all the other symptoms you've seen recently. He's... Yeah, he is not just dehydrated. I mean, you've had trouble getting him to retain fluids, but it's more than dehydrated. He's desiccated. Uh, His skin is flaking, and... 
this morning, you swear a couple of the times when he's had trouble breathing and coughed, you've seen a little cloud of dust come out of his mouth. Uh, has has Nathaniel seen other people die from this disease yet, or is this the first time it's actually... No. Okay. Yeah, the, it looks like this is the first patient you're going to lose to whatever this is. Wow, you must feel like a real shitty doctor, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> But at this stage, I mean, there's not really much else you can do for him other than palliative care. Yeah, he is beyond any help. Uh, his his wife has been sitting, uh, well, uh, she's been sitting in a, a little chair beside him for most of the night. And she's fallen asleep at this stage and the exhaustion has just got to her. But with the noise outside, she's beginning to stir. Uh, stir. Her, her name's Agatha. I, they're both actually fairly young, though you wouldn't think of it to look at Harold at the moment. They're both in their 30s. But he looks like... I mean, if you didn't know otherwise, you'd think that he was in his 60s at least, just from the um, the effect on his skin. Yeah, as he goes into this latest coughing fit, she stirs and you. she, she takes hold of his hand. There's this sort of cracking sound and she jumps back in alarm and you can see a couple of his fingers just drop to the ground and bounce across the floor holy shit okay before you've had a chance to do anything else let's have a sand roll (laughs) (laughs) I dig it start as we mean to go on (laughs) I, uh, I pass a 30 on a 40 Okay, yeah, you're a doctor. You have seen some weird shit over the years. Maybe not this weird. He's got the old droppy no, fingers. No, he's, yeah, he's seen lots of <laughs> fingers just drop to the floor. <laughs> but yeah, you can see that you know, his hand has actually fractured slightly, that there's bits of bone fragment poking out through this desiccated flesh. His hand's trembling a little bit. One of the fingers where it's dropped on the ground, the desiccated flesh has dropped away from it a bit, uh, revealing bone there. But Harold Priestley himself just doesn't seem to have noticed any of this. He's still staring up at the, the ceiling. I, I want to lean over him, and do I have anything I can like shine a light? I want to see if he responds to light. Sure. Harold, are, are, you, are, you still, are you still in there? Yeah, you don't have like the proper medical equipment that you used to have but you've certainly right. got a an electric flashlight that you can shine in there it's a you know a bit brute force but it's better than nothing and yeah you you shine that and yeah, not only do his eyes not respond but you see with all this dust that he's been coughing up that there is actually a, a thin patina of dust across his corneas that he's not blinking off but he's still breathing at this point yeah. I'll check if yeah, he's breathing at this of. point. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, it is very, very labored. But, yeah, he, he is breathing. Agatha, understandably at this stage, is freaking the fuck out. She is screaming. She is crying. She is demanding to know what the hell is going on with her husband. I want to try and um, calm her down. But my, my point in calming her down is to say, Agatha... This, uh, I'm, I'm sorry to say this. This might be your last chance to, to say anything you need to say to Harold. He doesn't have much longer. If you, if you'd like to, if you'd like to say anything, now'd be the time. Oh God! Oh God! Oh God. Oh, if 
if you, if you say so, Doctor. And, and she leans over him, and she's obviously trying very gingerly to find some way of holding on to him without damaging him further. And, and uh, you can see, I mean, as she's leaning over him, there's tears dropping off her face. And where they're dropping onto his skin, they're just leaving little gouges as they run down. Oh, wow. Holy shit. So, while you're dealing with that situation, let's cut outside to... <laughs> um, yeah, let's go to uh, Frederick, first of all. So... What's Frederick's morning routine? What does he normally do when he first gets up? The camera kind of pans across the Hoover town and you see some children playing. Uh, You don't see Frederick Mellon the first because he is hiding inside a uh, half-rotted-out metal barrel (laughs) uh, that they used uh, to to make fires for some time until it eventually disintegrated and was no longer useful, so it's kind of half-rolled over. And he, uh, he is inside waiting for these kids to get just close enough uh, for him to just <laughs> pop out and scare the shit out of him. He's just trying to really, really give him, give him a show. And as, as soon as their eyes are massive, he holds out a single dollar bill. Hey, my kitties, kitties, kitties. Hey, 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 hey. The world has joy, joy for you, joy for me. Okay, now. I want you to take this dollar, okay? Mister, that's a whole dollar. Yes. Take it. That's a whole dollar. <laughs> yeah. And and with that... Yeah, that's the, right. <laughs> with that, the three kids start fighting over the dollar in a very spirited way. <laughs> you, you notice, actually, that... The, with with the group of kids, I mean, they, yeah, they they are kids of various ages throughout the camp, and there's normally four of them who travel around in this particular group. I mean, the camp's only got about fifty people in it, so there aren't that many kids. But there's you know a group of four kids that normally go around and do all the mischief, and there only seem to be three of them here today. There's one of the girls, Esther. Hey, wait, hey, where where's Benji? It's it's Esther who's missing. Oh, where's Esther? Yeah, I. The you know the other kids look up and you know sort of half pay attention to what you're saying. I always get her and Benji confused, <laughs> and and then go back to fighting over the dollar because they haven't seen the whole dollar for a very long time. Uh, so he kind of raises it up and he's like, "Okay, okay, I was gonna give it to you, but now you gotta work for it by answering me a question. All right, now where is this Esther? Where's your friend who runs around? Have you seen her yet, Mister? Oh, you mean you haven't seen it yet? You've been going around with town with her every day, and now just today she's gone. <laughs> yep, do you like that change? <laughs> uh, yeah, one of the little boys looks up and says, uh, Oh, maybe she's sick, mister. Give us the dollar. Uh, he looks off into the distance, kind of coughing slightly to himself as he just holds the dollar out and hands it to him. A smile just grows across his face as he watches the kids <laughs> yeah well little benji grabs the dollar bill out of his hand out of your hand and goes running off down the camp with the other two kids chasing him uh in let's say a playful manner but yeah the, the same kind of playful manner as you'd expect from hungry dogs <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's optimistic <laughs> well yeah the way our our own children might play someday if we're lucky 
But the girl that they that you noticed was missing, Esther. I, she lives with her mother, um, a woman called Mrs. Frayne, or you, who you may know as Maureen. Yeah, is is in one of the tents nearby. She, uh, well, the mother, uh, Mrs. Frayne, is a widow. You know, her husband killed himself a little while back. She used to come from money, and you know that she's very protective of her daughter, but at the same time, she's been quite ill with the disease that's going on around here. And Esther, as far as you know, you know, has been one of the healthier people in the camp, and it's really unusual not to see her up and about. I mean, her mother's been bedridden for a little while, but, you know, Esther definitely should be up and about at this stage. Frederick Mellon the first will go check in just to say hello kind of he's curious so he's just going to kind of poke around where his nose shouldn't be well you go over to the tent and the flap on the tent is open slightly they never they never see me coming in <laughs> i'm very stealthy <clears throat> so luke can't make it to one game and you're like we need a monster <laughs> <laughs> i am playing a nice optimistic old man uh, who, who, yeah, who, who joyfully slinks and creeps through the shadows <laughs> and pits children against each other. <laughs> He's practically a Disney character. <laughs> I've been watching and I enjoy the way Luke plays a game. <laughs> Have you watched the way... It affects the other players. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm currently progressing the story. Thank you, Thomas. That's true. So, yes, you take a look inside the tent. And in there, you can see that there are two cots that have been set up. Um, well, I say cots. I mean, they're fairly makeshift things that have been cobbled together out of spare wood and whatever cloth and in some cases newspaper they've managed to get hold of but let's call them cots and one of them is empty uh, it, in fact it it looks almost undisturbed the other one has got Maureen Frayne lying in it and you're not sure whether she's alive or dead uh, she is at the very least badly injured. There is blood down her face and it looks like someone has bludgeoned her. There's blood splattered all over her sheets. And yeah, she does not look in a good way. Frederick Mellon is frozen in the doorway when he sees this, unable <laughs> to decide what to do. He uh, is just going to give the room a quick once over to decide a if there is any like uh, like fight put up uh, any any sort of distress actions happening in this room and b to see if anyone is other than her body is still in here. Okay, I mean this is a comparatively small tent, so it would be very difficult for someone to be hiding in here and for you not to see them. But as far as trying to discern the details of what happened goes, uh, let's have a spot hidden roll. This seems like the perfect opportunity for a spot hidden roll. Ah, 16 on a 55. Ooh, 
Okay, yeah, that's a hard success. So, yeah, you notice a few things then. As far as the state of Maureen is concerned, you reckon for a start that she's still alive. You can see her chest rising and falling slightly, but yeah, there's, like I say, a fairly nasty head wound. The other things you clock are that Esther's bed, like I say, I mean, seems to be largely unmade, but perhaps more unusually, the thick winter coat that she had that you know, is obviously fairly vital at this time of year is still there beside her bed, as are her shoes. So, you know, it's, if she is up and about or outside the tent, yeah, on a cold November morning like this, without her coat and shoes, yeah, she, that's not going to be good for her. Uh, the other thing you notice, seeing as you got a hard success, is there is something tucked underneath Maureen Frayne's bed. And, yeah, it, it's, it's wrapped up in cloth, but it's it must have been disturbed when whatever happened last night happened. And you can see that, yeah, she does have what looks like a fairly nice, a very expensive-looking shotgun tucked under her bed. Mm. Yeah, he's he's not he's gonna leave that uh, he's gonna leave that be. See, Thomas, not necessarily playing the exact same way <laughs> as one Luke might. No, no, I was just saying you were playing a character who's a dickhead. <laughs> oh, he's so nice, though. You'll get to know him. You'll get to know him. It'll be fine. Definitely should have grabbed like the it. shotgun just now. <laughs> <laughs> he is going to just kind of slink back out and walk quickly toward the uh, the doctor's Okay, abode. yeah, yes, the, the medical shack that he's... Wherever yeah. he might be Well, working. there is a shack that Dot Coombs has set up. Uh, it's not where he lives. He lives in a tent just next to it, but he's got a shack which serves as, uh, I guess, a sort of field hospital that yeah, has got a couple of cots in it and has got what equipment he's managed to salvage or get you know, from various sources, uh, what medical equipment and drugs and so on. And so, yeah, uh, you can make your way over there. Before we deal with that, however, let's check in with Mr. Dolan. Thomas Dolan, how you doing? Um, what, what's, what, yeah, what, what's, what's Thomas Dolan's morning routine? Is, is he up and about at this time? In his old life, he would have been. Uh, but he's he's tired in the mornings a lot of times, so mm. he he might be just dragging himself out of his uh, shack right about this time uh, and seeing if anybody around the campfire has, has some extra coffee. Okay, yeah, you. I mean, the campfire is pretty much outside your your shack, and you make your way over there, and there are only a couple of people sitting there. There's Doctor Rothstein. Uh, who you know was some kind of university lecturer, uh, who's sitting there warming his hands. He's, he's making the coffee at the moment. And also sitting opposite him is a young woman who you know, her name is Nancy, Nancy Carver. And, yeah, she was... She worked in a lawyer's office, you think, before everything went south. And she is sitting there with... An absolutely vacant look in her eyes. She's just looking at the flames. And you can see that there is actually, in the back of her hair and on her coat, there are some ice crystals there that suggest that she might actually have been sitting there all night. 
Nance, uh, you all right there? N- Nance? She, she doesn't look at you, but she, she starts just twitching a little bit. Um, yeah, it, it, her eyes just go a bit wider, and she looks at the fire more, and then she, she forces herself to look up and looks over at you. What happened? What? Why is it light? Why? Why, why is it light? Where, where am I? 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 You're in the Hooverville, Nance. You're around the fire. It's me, Thomas Dolan, and this Rothstein right there. Oh, God. Where do you think you are? Rothstein looks up and just sort of grunts and then goes back to making the coffee. I, I, I was, yeah, I was, I was here, I, yeah, I was here last night and, and, oh, God. What, why, why can't I remember? Why can't I remember, Thomas? Why can't I remember? What, what did they do to me? Who? Who, Nance? Who did what to you? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. They, 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 they were here last night. They were here. They, they did something. They, they did something, Is it those Thomas. little fucking urchins? I don't know. They, oh, God. They didn't have faces. They didn't have faces. Rothstein, are you... Are you hearing what she's saying? Has she been like this all morning? Oh yes, yeah, she's been like this all morning. She's uh, yeah, just taps the side of his his head and then goes back to making the coffee. Can I do a? Um, I was gonna say a psychology check, but I don't know if that would. Do I? This all this. I mean, it sounds fantastical. Do I believe her? Oh, I see. Yeah, that that would be psychology, definitely. Yeah. Uh, no, seventy six on a. Um, I think it's a forty. Okay, I mean, yeah. yeah, she is obviously upset. Um, I mean, even without the role, I mean, it seems unlikely that she'd be lying about something like this. I mean, she seems genuinely upset, but... Yeah, but it's the 30s, so we don't believe victims yet. <laughs> there is that. <laughs> Shit, fucking Rothstein, she's been like this all fucking morning, and you've just been sitting here making coffee? Look at this, there's ice all over the back of her fucking head. I've just been here ten minutes, I'm making the coffee, I, I went and got uh, got some roots, I added them to the coffee, yeah, the grounds are, grounds are all moldy today, grounds are all moldy. Uh, alright, Rostine, I go and I grab a, a blanket to put around her, uh, around her back where all the ice is. And, yeah, she's, she's muttering, she's muttering something about a puppet now. Do I, do I know anything about her, her life? Does she have any puppets? <laughs> Was she in vaudeville? Uh, no, no. Like I say, she worked in the lawyer's office. Nance, what do you what do you mean puppets? What are you talking about these these fucking puppets? I don't, I, they, they they had a puppet. <laughs> yeah, it was a puppet, wasn't it? They had a puppet last night, and my God, Thomas, they made it sing, and she just bursts into floods of tears. At this point, I I feel like I'm convinced she's talking about a vaudeville show. <laughs> It's like, all right, well, Nance is off a rocker. I don't know if that's, you know, so out of character. It it is, actually. Well, these are hard times. Everybody gets a little weird. Oh, yeah. Dolan is definitely confused by this, but um, I don't think he clocks it as as supernatural or anything. It just seems like a, a drunk woman in the Depression. Yeah, that seems entirely reasonable. And at this point, you see... Uh, Melon walking past you. Uh, would it be fair to say with a purposeful stride heading towards the medical tent? Rarely uh, is he purposeful, so in this moment it seems strange. Uh, uh, Freddy, where are you going? Uh, I gotta go 
say hi to Dr. Combs. Uh, Maureen got hit on the head. Maureen got hit on the head. Well, I think Nance might have got hit on the head, too. She's being fucking wacky. Why don't I... Take her or leave her. Let's go tell him. Let's let's uh, let's walk her on down there. So Melon will kind of, like, bow very deeply and tip his cap to the woman that uh, Dolan is, is helping up. Uh, and then we'll try to, like, uh, you know, hold her arm up on the other side to help her walk. And we skip away. <laughs> and and you lead her into the medical shack where you can see Agatha Priestley leaning over the um, very badly ill-looking form of her husband. You can see what appear to be a couple of fingers lying on the ground. Uh, the side of, of uh, Priestley's face is melting slightly. Uh, there is a death rattle coming from his lungs. And uh, what's Dr. Coombs doing while all this is happening? Uh, if he sees them walk in, he would like to try and create a privacy barrier if there's a curtain or something I can draw. Yeah, sure. To try and pull that closed and meet and meet them past the curtain. Give Agatha and Harold privacy. Okay. Thomas Dolan even is just looking at the fingers that are peeking out under the privacy curtain. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're hard to miss. <laughs> Gentlemen, how can I how, how can I help you? I'm, I'm in the middle of something back here. Uh, Doc, are those his fucking fingers? Uh, he, he turns around and looks and sees that they're pretty clearly visible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the curtain hangs like a foot off the ground, so they're... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, those are, those are, those are his fans. He's, he's, he's not, uh, he's not long for this world. Let's, let's, let's give them some privacy. And I try and usher them a little further away from that area. What's going on here, guys? Uh, well, Nancy's gone wackadoodle and, uh, uh, Freddie says, uh, what'd you, th- what'd you see, Freddie? Yeah, well, uh, I was just saying that, you know, my, my pals, my pallies, they were hopping about, uh, around the camp and Esther wasn't with them. Uh, so I went to see if she was home with Maureen, and turns out Maureen, big old gash on her head, you know, so, uh, definitely needs to be checked out for sure, but, you know, not awake, maybe. Well, she, she was still alive when you saw her, though. I think her chest was moving with breath. <laughs> Nathaniel's gonna, um, start gathering up a doctor's bag, and, and Nance, why, why are you here, uh, are you, are you feeling all right? Uh, the short answer is no, Doctor. They made it sing. They made they made what sing, Nance? The Doc, puppet. maybe you ought to put that puppet behind you, out of out of view. I. <laughs> <laughs> I think that thing's gonna freak her out. Little Gregory, what's the problem with Little Gregory? Well, I mean, we can see the fingers <laughs> under the curtain, and then Little Gregory's just staring right at her, and she's had a a, a fairly traumatic puppet-related experience. Uh, in the past. And also, just having a puppet of Rasputin seems very strange. <laughs> it's a little it's a little old-fashioned at this point. Uh, Nathana grabs a little towel and throws it over little Gregory. All right, all right, Nance, let's, uh, let's get you warmed up. Let's have you, let's have you get over here by this fire. And he goes and grabs a, a, an unused blanket to wrap around her and gets her right up close to the fire. Is my is my little buddy Billy in the tent right now? No, he hasn't turned up yet this morning. Is that your other puppet? <laughs> <laughs> is there anybody in the medical tent that I could like leave to keep an eye on things here if I left? No, it would just be uh, Agatha, uh, Harold, and well now Nancy. 
So just patience and, well, and, and Agatha. I'm going to pop my head into the privacy curtain and tell Agatha, Agatha, I gotta, I gotta run out for a second. It sounds like somebody's hurt. Um, I'll, I'll be back as soon as I can. If, uh, if you could, uh, if any, if, if anything happens, you can, you can come and find me. I'm going to be over at, uh, at Maureen's place. Uh, Nancy's sitting in here. She's going to warm up a little bit. I'll, I'll be back as soon as I can. Yeah. She doesn't seem to, she doesn't seem to have noticed a single word you've said. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, and then, yeah, just set up my sign that's like the doctor will be back in five minutes or whatever, ten minutes, and uh, and I'll sure. I'll uh, I'll let the guys lead me to or whoever wants to go with me lead me to Marine's uh, tent with my doctor's bag, whatever I can, whatever I have that I would take to a little field call. Call it a hunch, but I think we should maybe stick together from this point <laughs> on out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Frederick Mellon will lead you guys into the tent and. As he walks in, he's going to kind of push the gun more out of sight with his foot. Sure. Uh, as, he, as he kind of lays his hand about uh, to show off the, the body of, of Maureen and be like, Look, this is exactly how I found it. And look over there. Points at the, the jacket and the shoes of Esther. I have no words. I mean... Esther doesn't have an, another pair of shoes. She doesn't have another coat. That is the most alarming thing about this site. Where is she, though? <laughs> Thomas. Thomas Dolan is is crossing himself. Nathaniel looks over to Thomas since uh, you didn't happen to see Esther on your way to get me this morning, did you? I surely did not. Uh, and then he's going to, yeah, Nathaniel's going to start doctoring uh, Maureen. Okay. Trying to stabilize her and see if I can tell what happened and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, give me a first aid roll then. That's a pass of 45 on a 70. Okay. So, yeah, you can stabilize her. She is going to need proper medical attention. She has taken a very nasty head wound. Uh, At the very least, she's got a concussion. Uh, She's drifting in and out of consciousness and she's not really with it at the moment um yeah ideally it, you know she should be in a hospital but you know the hospital won't take her but at the very least you know you, you reckon you're gonna have to take her back to the shack and you know, try to try to get her into some kind of decent condition Maureen, can you can you hear me? Can you can, can you can you walk? Are you, are you able to walk? You, you take you're taking a nasty blow to the head here. We need to, we need to get to, to my tent. She just groans and then says, "Esther, where, where's where's Esther?" Uh, well, we kinda we don't know, Maureen. Know. Have you yeah? Have you seen her? When's the last time you saw her? No, no, I don't know. I, I woke up last night and there were men in the tent and oh god she puts her hand up towards her head did you, did you recognize these these men marine no no and uh, she she reaches her hand up towards her head and then just passes out again i turned to the i turned to frederick and thomas i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna need to get her back to back to the medical tent help me help me carry her back to the tent mr mellon done when you get there agatha is sitting back down in the chair and she's in floods of tears. I I peek behind the curtain to see is uh, is Harold still with us? Yeah, you, you take a look and I mean 
you know, you can check his life signs, uh, you know, I guess. Um, you know, if you listen with the stethoscope, there's no breathing, there's no heartbeat. Uh, yeah, I mean, you'd listen for a few moments just to make sure, and yeah, there's, there's definitely, there's definitely no heartbeat. And then, as you listen, you hear a sort of scratching sound. No, <laughs> I listen. I listen more intently, trying to trying to locate where that scratching sound's coming from. <laughs> yeah, you move the stethoscope down a little bit. And as you move it down towards the abdomen, the scratching gets louder. Medical training never trained me for inner scratching. <laughs> Hang on one sec. Who has a ringtone? It's Joe's uh, doorbell. Oh. Sure, thank you. One second. Oh, can you just leave it at the stoop there? Thank you very much. Sorry about that. Who's coming by? It was a package. I don't know. That's never happened to me before. They don't ever ring my bell to deliver me a package. (laughs) (laughs) Do you need to go and pick it up? Uh, No, I'm good for now. Are you sure? What if it's really cool? Yeah, I'll I'll go get it. (laughs) I think it's, uh, it might be dice, actually. Oh, shit. Go get him, and I'll I'll go to the bathroom real quick. You go get your dice. (laughs) All right, I'll run down real quick. Get him. Uh, This is, this is so spooky. (laughs) Good. Good, good, good. Yeah, this is excellent. Oh, glad you're enjoying it. I really am. We were in a very heated moment before my bell rang. It was, uh, <laughs> yes. I was hearing scratching and scratching from inside a thing I should not be hearing scratching and scratching coming from. Scratching and scratching. <laughs> <laughs> Moving down the abdomen. Hey. <laughs> so, yes, as you move the stethoscope down the abdomen, that sound of scratching gets louder. And more distinct. Not knowing anything about scratching and scratching coming from inside a body, he's going to look for external sources and maybe like under the bed and see if that's if there's something underneath there or something. No, no, of course not. It's coming from inside the body. It definitely is. The call is coming from inside <laughs> the body. <laughs> Can I see any like protrusion or anything like any from the outside? No, no, you can't. One of the side effects, really, of this desiccation of Priestley's flesh is that, I mean, even prodding it and poking it, yeah, there's no elasticity. It's it's quite rigid now. I'm going to try and tell Agatha to leave the room. She's in this room with us, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, she's sitting down in a, a chair, but behind the little privacy barrier that you've erected. So she's on the same side as you and the body at the moment. Ag- Agatha, if, if you if you could step out of the room, please, I'll I'll uh, I'll I'll, uh, I'll make sure that uh, Harold here is uh, is cared for, and we'll 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 arrange funeral arrangements together here here in just a bit. Just just step outside that curtain there for me. Uh, Freddie, could you see the the widow the widow Priestley out? I mean, Mrs. Priestley. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, Mrs. Priestley. <laughs> Agatha does not seem to be aware of anything that's going on around her at the moment. She has shut down completely. Does she? This is kind of. I should have asked this a long time ago. Is she, is she terribly affected by this disease also, or is she kind of doing okay? Uh, she's affected by it, but nowhere near as badly as her husband was. Right. Okay. Yeah, uh, f- fellas, if you could, if you could uh, if you could try to get her out of here, I, uh, let's yeah, let's uh, let's take uh, let's take Mrs. Priestley out of here, and I, I grab one arm and wait for 
uh, Mr. Mellon to grab the other. We're getting pretty good at this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we could maybe pull off, uh, you know, some kind of weekend at Bernard situation after this. <laughs> uh, when they get her out of the room, I, I, uh, my doctor's curiosity is going to grab a scalpel and see if I can find out what's going on with that scritching inside there. So, yeah, you sort of hitch up his pajama top and... You can isolate, using the stethoscope, the area where the scratching is coming from. Now, when it comes to cutting into the area, because of the desiccated nature of the flesh, it's not like cutting into flesh normally is. It's cracking and crumbling as you're doing so. Yeah, there's no blood, there's no fluid coming out, and there's just chunks of what was his abdominal wall falling away. And inside, you catch sight, first of all, of something uh, colourful. I mean, you, you think perhaps initially it's it's one of his internal organs because it is sort of glistening and iridescent, but no, it's not that. And there's another one, another one, these, these little round things. And then... In amongst this clutch of these little iridescent round objects, you can see something wriggling. Something, I mean, it's only a couple of inches long, but it's sort of cucumber-shaped, but there are little barbs or spikes coming off it. And it lifts its front end up towards you, and the whole thing irises out, and you can see these sort of mouth with all these little sharp teeth and suddenly the sound that sounds an awful lot like a baby crying coming from it. Let's have a sound roll. <laughs> no! <laughs> no, Scott, what? That's a that's a good old fashioned fail on that sand roll, baby. Sixty four on a forty. <laughs> Okay, so I, I, I'll, I'll roll your sand loss here because I I enjoy this. <laughs> <laughs> so you only lose three points of sand, but I think as an involuntary action, you stagger back and just, you, you can't help yourself, you stagger back and unconsciously just try to support yourself by grabbing onto the nearest thing you can, which unfortunately is the privacy curtain that you set up. And as you put your weight on it, you just crack <laughs> the pole that it was on, the whole thing comes down. As you, as you, as you land down heavily on the ground, crushing one of the, the, the fingers beneath you as you do so, and there is, you know, the rest of you from outside can hear this cracking wood sound. Uh, and then a moment later from the other side of the privacy curtain, the sound of Nancy Carver screaming as she can see the things wriggling around inside the remains of Harold Priestley's abdomen. Oh, shit. I, I mean, Nathaniel's going to try his hardest to regain composure and get people out away from that crazy, scary stuff. Like ushering people out of the tent. <laughs> Nancy has had such a bad 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Okay, so so yeah, it doesn't take a lot to convince Nancy to get out of the the medical <laughs> shack at this stage. Oh fuck! Where's Maureen? We we brought her in. Yeah, have we successfully gotten her out the door? <laughs> or t- yes. Uh, well, no, no. It was Agatha you took out. I assume Maureen is lying down on the other cot at the moment. <laughs> It's too late for you. <laughs> like, mercifully, at this stage, Maureen seems to be unconscious. Are the are the wriggling things moving anywhere? Or are they just staying inside the body cavity? Well, there's there's one wriggling thing, and it's clutch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, looking around inside, yeah, it's not crawling out of the abdomen yet. Um, it's it's not moving particularly fast, and you can see the ruptured remains of one of these what you realise are now eggs, which seems to be what this has come out of. And as you're looking around at the other sort of iridescent shapes, there you can see dark shapes moving around within those. Oh, oh no! <laughs> How big are your boots? Start stomping. Yeah, I could, like, um, tip him over, I guess. Yeah, I want to try that. I want to try and tip him over onto his front so that those things are kind of captured in his body cavity. They can't get out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you start start trying to tip him a bit, and almost immediately you can hear the cracks and crunches from his desiccated flesh. Uh, You you tip him up slightly, and his right arm arm just breaks off and lands on the ground. (laughs) Fingers scattering everywhere. (laughs) 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 Oh, shoot. Um, I'm going to yell out for for Frederick and Dolan... (laughs) Because why should you be the only one to lose that? <laughs> that is that is the true motto of a Call of Cthulhu player. Fellas, fellas, I, 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 I need help in here. We, I, we, we, have, we have a problem. It's a, I need help. I need help. Oh, yeah. I, let's go help the doc. <laughs> we both promptly drop Agatha Priestley on the ground. <laughs> Sorry. Sounds like an emergency. There is an apple crate you can sit her down on if you want to be more gentlemanly about the whole thing. No time. (laughs) (laughs) The doc sound panicked. Hurriedly walk her over, sit her down, jump cut. Yeah. Okay. It's us bursting through the door. What's up, Doc? Got it. There's some sort of parasite here, and it's uh, it's nothing like I've ever seen before. But uh, we we got to keep it contained. We can't let it get into the community. Parasite, like like worms. There's lots of all the kids here got worms. I got worms. You have a basement. Nathaniel Wide-eyed is look is saying, yeah, uh, worms. Sure, worms is it. Yeah, is uh, s- something like it. Freddie, it looks like from the doctor's eyes, these are bad worms. <gasps> like not just regular worms. All right, Doc. What can we do? What can we do to help the community? Do we? Do I? Does Nathaniel know? How do we have? Have we disposed of of other kinds of bodies or things here before? Is there? A, is there a? Is there a crematorium or a place that we can burn a body or something? Destroy a body? There is, not not destroy a body. There's a Potter's Field in Crawley uh, for paupers' burials, where when people have died at the camp before, they've been buried there. 
but just probably just crawling with aliens. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if it comes to safely disposing of what you'd consider perhaps to be a biohazard, the only facility you know of to do that is the uh, the incinerator at the hospital. Uh, so, Doc, do you think we gotta get this whole guy incinerated, or? Uh just these worms i i kind of investigate the body but i but joe thinks just the just the eggs and the but i don't know what a doctor would say if maybe they've taken root elsewhere in the body it just looks like he's really falling apart <laughs> <laughs> maybe we can stick them all in a bag we, we, we just, bag. i thought agatha was in pieces <laughs> oh we just uh, we, we've we've got to we've got to get these. It looks like it looks like eggs of some kind. We just gotta we gotta destroy these somehow, and uh, and look out for that that one. It it's it's got teeth. Which one? And he's he's pointing to the one that's still I think warming around in the body cavity. Yeah, and as oh, as, as you point that out to the others, that's a good opportunity for both of you to make sand rolls. <laughs> <laughs> Come with me. Ooh, 32 on a 40. Yeah, 15 on a 75. Thomas Dolan crosses himself, and it works. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so neither of you lose any sand. You're both reacting to this much better than the doctor did. Gross. Yeah, it's real gnarly, Doc, but uh, like I said, all the kids poop poop shit about that gnarly every other day around here. So Yeah, the world is disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, Nathaniel's gonna start trying to find maybe a like a, a bag that he would use for like biohazard type stuff, uh, entrails or whatever, <laughs> whatever he, <laughs> a way to dispose and start trying to shove. I don't know. I mean, no, yeah, Thomas Dolan just passes you his uh, his hobo bindle. <laughs> Nathaniel's kind of scared of the not kind of very scared of the thing with teeth so like is there a way that i can scoop these eggs carefully does it does it seem aggressive if i get near it aggressive i mean it's difficult to tell i mean it's not moving that fast i mean but you know as you examine it it certainly seems to take an interest in you in return i'm gonna i'm gonna try and just pick pick eggs quickly as if as if Mm. i don't know like a if I was trying to grab something from behind a spider, I'm trying to just really quickly grab things and get my fingers away from it. You know, like a spider's gold. (laughs) (laughs) While you don't have a lot of medical equipment here, I mean, it is fair to say that you've probably got something like tweezers and forceps and stuff like that you can use so you don't, so you don't have to use your bare hands. Sure. More like a scalpel to stab the little fucker. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I'm murderous of it yet. I think there's still a part of me that's wondering about this could be the key to solving whatever this parasite mm. I now think is a parasite in the community is. And if you wanted to keep the samples, I mean, you've got you know, mason jars and stuff like that. So you know, and you could you could certainly you know, keep. Let's them, do that. Let's yeah. do a mason jar. So as Frederick Mellon the first and Thomas Dolan are like. I'm picturing us kind of on opposite sides, walking and circling it with uh, with our with our knapsacks. Combs is going quickly, darting his fingers <laughs> in, trying to grab it, uh, and then decides in that split second to to collect. And so we'll kind of back off or help you with the mason jars. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, between using forceps and a mason jar, you can gather up the specimens without any real risk. And, yeah, I mean, without fully 
dissecting or demolishing the remains of, uh, of, of Mr. Priestley, there's no real way of telling whether you've got all the eggs, but you've certainly got a fair number of them. You've got about uh, a half dozen plus this hatch specimen. Gross. I hold up the, the jar to the guys. Fellas, this 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 uh this could be the key. This could be this could be what it is. This could be the thing that is afflicting us all. You saying that's what's inside of me right now? That's why I feel like shit and I lost my business. Is that little fucker right there? It's it's now it's now my newest theory. Yeah. Well, can I squash it? I I I don't I don't know. Not not I I I need to run tests. I need to I need to know if there's a way to to make these not be. All right, Doc. Well, as sure as as soon as you're sure of that, just let me know when I can squash that. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I mean, you, you put the jar down, um, and oh, at the same time, obviously, you know, Maureen Frayne is drifting in and out of consciousness. You've got Agatha Priestley, who's outside, who is now just wandering around. Uh, just trying to get her bearings. You've got <laughs> Nancy Carver, who is still in some kind of fugue state. Yeah, as, as I mentioned before, I mean, there's also perhaps the the dawning awareness that you have not seen Billy Spitzer this morning at all. Where, where, where's, where's Billy? I could, I could use, I could use help here today of all days. Frederick Dolan, have you? You guys, you guys seen Billy today? Uh, no, a lot of people, uh, nobody's seen around the camp today, so. He might be with, with Esther, perhaps. Where, where would they have gone? You want me to go check his tent, or? Yeah, see, yeah, let's do that, let's see, let's. Wherever they must have, well, I, if Esther didn't need shoes or a coat, then if we get there and Billy's shoes and coat are also there, then we know they're together, Right? I'm not a doctor. I'm not a fucking Sherlock Holmes. I'm a successful textile industrialist. <laughs> I'll defer to the experts. <laughs> I, if, uh, if 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 Billy's if Billy's at home, then this is this he'll, he'll be able to come over here, help me out. We can make some headway here. Yeah, like I said, I'm not a fucking uh, detective, but it seems like going to Billy's house would be a really good first step. <laughs> let's go. Yeah, let's let's go. Let's go check on Billy. Okay, yeah, you go over to Billy's tent, and again, it looks like there's been a struggle. There's no blood here, but you know, the insides of it look like it's been ransacked, and there's no sign of Billy. Melon is, like, very perplexed and is just eyeing everything in this tent, trying to figure out what went down, seeing if there's anything out of place, looking for mm. any any sort of evidence that might lead us to discover who had been here. Okay, well, give me a spot hidden roll then. Uh, that would be a 97. <laughs> <laughs> that okay. sounds good. It's high. <laughs> well, <laughs> at least because your spot hidden's pretty good, that's not a fumble, but you are just blundering around at the moment. You could... You could, if you want, uh, find some way of pushing the roll. So then Melon reaches in to his uh, coat and uh, puts on his glasses. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Is I, that I a think... way to push a roll? 
Yeah, I think so. And yeah, I think if you fail here, you you end up. Can we just say I was playing my character at forty percent before this? (laughs) (laughs) What happens? How how would a push roll fail in this scenario with what with glasses? Uh, Well, it wouldn't be that directly. I think I think that you would actually. Yeah, I'd be up for the for you just breaking your glasses. (laughs) (laughs) Take them out, and they're cracked. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a fail. That's a seventy three on a fifty five. <laughs> okay. You shouldn't have spent so much time hiding in burn barrels trying to scare children. <laughs> <laughs> then yeah, you pull your glasses out, and it looks like it looks like you slept on them last night. And as you pull them out, you know the one good lens on there just falls out and lands on the ground. <laughs> Frederick Mellon the first falls to his knees as one of the former relics of 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 his his time on top. Oh, was that your little artifact? Comes to be as as he and he sees he sees in the in the broken shards of glass the reflections of his days gone by when he could burgle people all over the city and not feel any remorse. But now he can burgle so few uh, because there are only so few who actually have anything to burgle. Seeing this very human moment, Thomas Dolan takes out his grandfather's fiddle and plays <laughs> plays a mournful tune. But I'm pretty sure he only has 30 in fiddling, so let's see how well he does. It's an 11. He plays a, oh. an, a legitimately mournful tune. Oh. And not something that sounds sarcastic. <laughs> God. Nathaniel doesn't have great investigation skills, but could he maybe take track? Is there is there any kind of blood spatter? Is there, can I maybe get a, a feel of maybe a direction that this scuffle took place heading toward? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd either spot hidden or track would help there. I'm gonna do a spot hidden. Uh, I hit it. I don't know how that works in this game. I hit. It's 25 on a 25. Okay, that's fine. That's good. So, yeah, there's nothing that you can spot within the tent itself. But looking around, you can see that, yeah, there does seem to be a bit of a scuffle and certainly drag marks in the now frozen mud outside that indicate that Billy was dragged out of the tent. I, I point that out to my compatriots here. Uh, it looks like uh, it looks like they went this direction. Should, I think we should I think we should see where it leads wipes a single tear away from his eye, turns around, stands up, gets back down, stands back up. <laughs> uh, Thomas Dolan realizes this old fucker needs help, and he <laughs> helps him get up <laughs> off the ground. <laughs> Thank you. Oh. I really appreciate that. That's... That's really nice. You're such a wise guy. I just, you're just emotionally intelligent. Thomas Dolan plays a brief uh, song of thanks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, your party's got a bard now, hasn't it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, do we get advantage oh, dice shit, uh, when he's playing? <laughs> I've never been a bard, but this might be my only chance. <laughs> <laughs> so Dr. Coombs can see, like I say, the drag marks outside. And because the ground has frozen overnight, you can actually see the drag marks preserved and they're... You, you can follow them if you want. I, I assume you want to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the drag marks, I mean, they meet up with a number of other um, sets of footprints. You reckon there were maybe like three or four people in the camp last night. The footprints, they look like men's shoes, and I mean, definitely shoes and not boots. And from the general footprints that you can see they look like they were probably in relatively good condition which is unusual for people in the camp yeah there's um a couple of sets of drag marks like they dragged two people out and as you follow them they go up towards the main road uh, the road that runs between crawley and arkham and you can see that there are some tire tracks there it looks like there was a car that was parked just off the side of the road that drove off and from the angle of the tyre tracks it probably drove off towards Arkham or at least away from Crawley away from the town out of town damn it looks like uh, it looks like Billy was taken why would they why would they take Billy uh hey didn't Dr. Rothstein used to work in Arkham he did well maybe we can show him around I mean maybe he can show us around (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was just like an old-timey phrase. <laughs> is is Arkham is it is it walkable? We would have no, to have a vehicle to get to Arkham, right? Ar- Arkham is probably uh, you know twenty or thirty miles from here, so it's and it's the it's called the Arkham yeah. Road because that's the direction it heads in. But you know, Crawley is just like a mile down the road from here, but you know, Arkham is a fair way off. I, there are a number gotcha. of things on this road closer than Arkham itself. Um, there's but there, the the tracks lead off on the Arkham Road. That's right, yeah. We just don't know that they go all the way, yeah. Yeah, you don't know how far they go. Uh, The nearest place uh, on the road from here, down that way, is the Blue Star Diner, which is where you get your used coffee grounds. The woman who runs it, Ida, she doesn't really like it when people from the Hooverville turn up there. Uh, She certainly won't serve you there because you drive away paying customers. But on the other hand, if she's throwing food and old coffee grounds and stuff like that out, she'll generally let you have it for free. And then beyond there, there are a number of, uh, I guess, private houses, country houses, whatever you'd want to call them. But, you know, the more upmarket houses on the outskirts of town. What do you think they would have taken Billy and Esther? I don't know. Uh, did Billy have gambling debts? I, I, I don't think Billy was wrapped up in anything like that. That's, uh, he's, he's kind of been the heart and soul of the place these days. Yeah, I mean, he's 14. He's unlikely to have serious gambling debts. But you never know. <laughs> kids, kids grow up fast these days. <laughs> <laughs> How far away is the diner? Uh, the diner's fairly close. I mean, it's like... You know, five minutes walk down the road from here. And they're open late, I assume? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I suppose we could go see if Ida saw anything last night. 
try to get some intel on that since she's close. That's a a good idea. We can at least see if the tracks, you know, go past there or or stop somewhere before there. Even if not, we can see if she's got any grounds that aren't moldy. Because in between between here and 30 miles away and last night, there's only going to have been one car that traveled down that road. So the the tracks (laughs) are going to be really (laughs) obvious. Well, one thing that does perhaps stand out is the tracks, or at least the tire marks that you can see, they're probably not big enough to be a truck, but they certainly look like they're from a car that's bigger than your average car. Didn't, uh, there was that guy in camp who always bragged about his Rolls Royce Phantom. Oh, yeah. Hiram. Hiram Melnick. Hiram Melnick. Should we go see, uh, Boston? Should we go see him and, uh, see if, uh... <laughs> Let's go ask him if those are Rolls Royce Phantom tracks. <laughs> or a big nice car. Uh, you know, I I did do a, a fair amount of of brick putting. You know, laying laying cars upon bricks after taking the tires, and you know, I'm fairly well versed in in the thick and thin of a tire. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I could perhaps you know maybe put my fingers in this dirt in this frozen frozen ice, <laughs> and just kind of poke around. <laughs> And just kind of poke around, poke around, poke, poke. You've really got to decide where you're from. (laughs) (laughs) Or not. It's fine. (laughs) I'm from anywhere. I'm from nowhere. I'm Frederick Mellon the Foist, and I'm from hell. I am going to roll a praise. (laughs) You're from Whitechapel via the Bronx. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, just gonna roll a praise and uh, see if yeah. I up oh, thirty two on a thirty. I, well, I, I, I'll tell you what, I'm not, I'd actually accept education on that because you know this seems to come under your your general sort of professional skills. Well, then that is a thirty two on a seventy five. Okay, so that's a hard success. So it's going to be difficult to tell a specific make and model from just looking at the tire tracks. But on the other hand, yeah, I mean, you know, you mentioned Hiram's old uh, Rolls Royce. Yeah, I mean, this could be a Rolls Royce. It could be a, a big model Cadillac. I mean, whatever it is, you're fairly certain that, I mean, it's from a luxury car of some kind. The kind of car that really would stand out. A big, nice sedan not big enough to be a truck, but too big for a Model T. Yeah. Well, now we got something to ask Ida about. Yeah, that's 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 good information. We can we can check in with Ida see if she's seen a car like that in the last twenty four hours. Fancy cars parked in the yard. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> we could just go around back. That way, we're not bothering her or any of her customers, and we could just kind of knock on the door and say what's up. Yeah, you you go down to the Blue Star Diner. Um, This is a classic roadside diner. It's made from a converted railway car. Uh, Yeah, it's it's obviously open. There's a few cars parked outside. And you can see that, yeah, there are people eating, being served in there. But, yeah, going around the back and knocking on the door, yeah, Larry, the the short older cook, comes and you know opens up the back door and just goes, uh, "Hey, Larry, Larry, Fred, Freddie, Freddie, why don't we, you know, why don't we let the doc take this one? I, I think they might, you know, <laughs> or just doc, they they're nicer to you. They they give you, you know, 
they feed you here. They don't. Hey, hey, uh, hey, Larry. It's uh, it's Doctor Coom Coombs. Yeah. I, I was wondering uh, if yeah, if I could. Uh, were you here last night? I, you might be able to help me. I, I was going to talk to Ida, but if you were here last night, I could ask you too. No. <laughs> Would you run and grab Ida for me? Huh. And he shuts the door and goes back inside. <laughs> Was that was that a yes? <laughs> For a couple of minutes, you got no idea whether that was a yes, no, fuck off, whatever. But then, about two minutes later, uh, Ida comes to the back door. She's looking a bit harried. There's a pencil tucked in. She's she's got her hair up in a bun, her graying hair, and she's a fairly round, ruddy-faced woman. She's got a pencil tucked behind her ear, um, uh, looking a bit flustered, and says. Uh, you're too early for for the leftovers and coffee grounds. Look, c- look, come back, come back. Say five o'clock. I'll give you what I can then. Okay, guys. S- sorry, Ida. Ida that's, it's, that's, it's, uh, it's the doc. It's not bum business. That's 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 not why I'm here, Ida. I'm I'm I'm, I'm sorry to bother you. I know you don't like us coming around in the in the daytime like this, but I, I we're missing a couple people from camp. We have reason to believe they came up this way. Did you? You didn't happen to see. I guess anything strange, but especially a, a a pretty nice car come through here last night. A big one. Yeah, I mean, I was up late doing the books last night, and yeah, I guess, I guess. I mean, there was there was a big black car that drove up. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I I didn't really think much of it at the time. I you know, it wasn't much traffic, but yeah, it's a Cadillac, I think, big Cadillac. Um, did you, you did they did they come in here? Did you oh, see who, who was driving it? No, no, no. But I I know I've seen that before. I mean, I've seen it go up and down the road here before. I, I think it, I think it belongs to the man who bought Greenleys. Is that right, Greenleys? And yeah, I mean, you know that that's one of the estates just up the road from here. And that's that's uh, that's Hiram's old place. Yeah, I thought about being him. That's why I know. <laughs> he he certainly talked about it enough. <laughs> so yeah, okay, all right, up, up there at uh, that's that was Hiram's old place. Yeah, that's uh, that's not too far from here, right? That's just uh, up the road, right? Yeah, it's like a mile up the road. Yeah. All right, th- Ida, thank you. That that uh, that helps us a lot, actually. That points us in a in a pretty concrete direction. We were never here. You fellas, you don't get yourself in, in any trouble now. I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm thinking now that I maybe shouldn't have told you that if you're going to go around and cause trouble with the good man who, who lives there. You know, don't let me be hearing from the police that you've gone up there and done something stupid, all right? Absolutely not, Ida. This is, this is uh, back of house only. We're not going to be dealing with, you know, anybody in society who might get the feathers ruffled. This is, uh, this is bum business it's just it's just hobo hobo nonsense (laughs) yeah if you don't say our names we won't have your name in our mouth either either (laughs) yeah she's she's really looking like she's regretted saying anything at all to you now that says uh Yeah, anyway, if you fellas will excuse me, I've got paying customers to deal with and a Again, whole lot of things to reconsider. You personally have been a huge help. Thank you so much for everything you've done and told us. <laughs> Love's not the right word, but something similar. 
affection. Yeah, yeah, she says and shuts the door in your face. <laughs> I'm going to take a restroom break real quick. You think you can use the bathroom at the Blue Star Diner? <laughs> you guys distract Ida. <laughs> it's a number one, I promise. You can piss in the hole in the ground like everyone else. <laughs> oh, I'm going to do that as well. Piss in the hole in the ground. Yeah. <sighs> this is great so far, Scott. Thanks for doing this. Oh, yeah. No, my, my pleasure. Uh, it's well it's i mean for a start it's really great to have an opportunity to play with you guys and it's it's great to have a chance to run this again because it's it's been a long time since i've done so and i've never actually recorded this one so yeah it's got a it's got a creepy flavor man <laughs> scratching and scratching got me <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think this is one of the darker things i've written <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, I think we were going to head down and, to... And uh, one of the players, yeah. He, sorry, no, go Greenleys ahead. Oh, or Greeley's? No, 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 Gary. Yeah, uh, yeah we could Greenleys. use a Hiram right now. Uh, Thomas Dolan. So, are, are you heading... Zach, were you suggesting that we go that back the to get Hiram? So are you heading straight right? off to... <laughs> that we either, oh, it's every single time. <laughs> every single like, time. From three continents. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know. We we got we got we got lag working. Oh boy, all over the place. I'm not gonna say shit. Uh, but yeah. So, are you heading straight to Greenlees? Are you going back to the camp for any reason? Um, what what's your plan here? We could certainly um, go ask Hiram some questions about his business partner who now owns Greeley's. Yeah. At the very least, he could give us a lay of the land, maybe tell us what we're what, about the, about the house. Ideally we'd bring him with us to, to act as a, as a guide. If you're going to sneak into a place and you know, someone who used to live there, it's smart to ask him questions about doors and windows and other holes, just any holes. Yeah. Let's do that. General. Yeah. General holery. All the holes of a home. All the household. No one knows it like a former homeowner. <laughs> Boston. Okay, so you head back. <laughs> you head back to the... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, sorry, Scott. <laughs> no, please, no, it's okay. Please paint, our, paint your word picture for us. <laughs> <laughs> so you head back I'll say that again without <laughs> so you head back to the Hooverville and yeah I mean Hiram is at this stage when you get back to the camp Hiram has gone over to the medical tent uh, having heard that Nancy is there he's basically kneeling on the ground beside Nancy just talking to her comforting her and yeah when when he come into the shack he looks up and says uh, what the hell happened last night I she Nancy I mean she's what what, what happened to her right she's just I, I don't know what we're we're we're, we're look, looking into she's, it she's saying all sorts of crazy things about men with no faces and puppets and yeah, something about a singing puppet. As far as we can tell, a very experimental vaudeville show. 
Um, <laughs> but it is weird. A lot of weird things are going on. Uh, Hiram, we need to ask you uh, about your old estate. I'm certain to say with 100% confidence that the people who did this, who came into our Hooverville and took our little Esther and our medium-sized Billy and took them all out, they took them to Greenlease, the place that you used to own. And now the livers in there, the people, the, the internal organs who do their business inside the house that you once called your own abode, they're the ones who came in here and they might not have faces from what she's saying, but we're not sure about that, but we can be positive that it's those, those are the ones who did done do this to us and we're gonna fight back. Not only gonna fight back with, with guns and with fists, but we're not gonna do either one of those things. We're gonna fight back with stealth. They're not gonna know we were there. We were never there. We were there and then we were gone and we'll come back with our people and they won't know it. Uh, or, you know, we go in um, <clears throat> right off the bat with whatever you think, because it used to be your home. You tell us what you think. Right. If questions. you think we should do the stealth or the guns. Yeah. So what? You, you're saying that you think, what, Casper Brink's got something to do with taking the kids? No. That's, yeah, that, that, that's crazy. I mean, yeah, the, the man's an animal. He's, yeah, I mean, he's... <laughs> He's a thief. Uh, he's, he's the scum of the earth, but uh, kidnapping kids? Does he have a big black car? What, what? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's got he's got plenty of cars. He, he bought my old cars along with the the house, and yeah, he always had cars of his own. And big a big back a big black Cadillac. Yeah, yeah, he's got a caddy. We don't exactly have time to like clue you in on everything, but Billy. And Esther were like 100% seen taken away from here and a big black caddy towards your estate. Son of a bitch. Like I say, I, mean, I always knew Casper was was a thief, but, but stealing children? Yeah, well, yeah, you got to go get him back. I mean, look, I'll tell you what, if, if you want to get in there... Taken by surprise. You go around the back. There's there's some old servants' quarters around there. I mean, I I never had anyone live there, but there's old servants' quarters, and yeah, I mean, I don't know if he's had any work done, but there's a window just just by the back door that you know the lock on that is is terrible, terrible, terrible lock. I always meant to get it fixed, even if it was a wonderful lock. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, you you break in there, and yeah, you, you should be fine. That's uh, that's helpful, Hiram. Thank that's you. very yeah. We really appreciate your help, Hiram. Hiram, put yourself in th- these shoes for a second, if you will. Y- you've got two kids, and you're trying to hide them, and you live in your old house. Where would you put them? Well, I guess down to the cellars. That I mean, guys, you might think this a little bit weird at this point in my narrative, but that also answers my next questions, which is where would be the best place to sacrifice two children. In your old estates. <laughs> <laughs> Just call it a hunch, uh, Freddy and Doc, but that's the vibe I'm getting. Anyway, we, we should think, Hiram, you've been a big help. Let's let's go, right, guys? Hiram, do you want to come? He said, no, 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 I'll stay here, look after Nancy. I mean, you know, the state she's in. Yeah, she... No, I'll stay here with her. That's wicked smart. The doctor's going to go to go around to his personal tent, the his living quarters, and grab his um, mm. his little thirty eight revolver. Okay. Freddie, you didn't come across any amazing guns today. 
as Thomas says that Frederick Dolan the first uh, Frederick Mellon the first oh we got married <laughs> Frederick Dolan the first I took your name <laughs> you took my first um, <laughs> so we're now we're both Freddie Dolan <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Freddie Dolan the first um He's like patting off Hiram's shoulders of any dust or any uh, anything on on his shoulders, and kind of touching at his cap and 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 pulling up his shirt and making him look nice. And he's just saying, "Thank you, thank you, thank you so much." Now, look under your hat. And he's gonna try to have uh, fifty cents sitting on top of Hiram's head. <laughs> Give me a slot of hand roll to see whether you pull that off. Yes. I rolled an art seven on a 50. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Extreme success. So, yeah. Yeah. He takes his hat off. You got to tell me how you do that someday, man. <laughs> he says. He just waggles his fingers in Hiram's <laughs> face. <laughs> and then he uh, he dips off and says, uh, I'll meet you guys uh, up there at the front. I'll be just a second. Uh, and when he comes back, he, he comes back with a with a shotgun hopefully yeah and about half dozen shells have you guys ever fired one of these things i've only shot it like twice (laughs) sarah it's just um i was just studying thomas dolan's character profile does he have any weapons around the camp would that would it be realistic to say he has a pistol stowed away or something um probably not yeah (laughs) you don't need a gun you got a fiddle (laughs) That's fucking true. I'm the bard. I've got to start acting like it. So, um, yeah, Thomas Dolan plays a mournful but um, but hopeful tune. Bittersweet would be the best word for it as we set out on the road for our adventure. Uh, by the way, just before you go, I mean, one thing as as Coombs is just sort of finishing up in the, in the medical shack before you head out, one thing you notice, the mason jar that you left with the the eggs and the, the specimen in it. I mean, the eggs are still there, the specimen isn't. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> boys, I think we gotta maybe deal with... Yeah, we got to deal with some local issues before we hit off that trail. Do we see a little a slime trail or anything leading out of the jar? You do. Is there a hole where it's drilled through? Yeah, there is no hole in the jar. The, the lid of it is still sealed, but there does seem to be a little trail of slime coming out the side of it. How did it, how did it get out of the, out of the jar? It's, and I, I hold it up and kind of shake it a little. It, it, it's intact. As, as you shake it, I mean, one of the other eggs ruptures slightly and something begins to wriggle out of it. Oops, oops. Uh, and he sets it down <laughs> carefully. Guys, obviously, it took the lid off, put the lid back on, slid it away. Not that hard. Let's look for <laughs> Let's look for where it's slithered. Yeah, as you follow the slime trail, it moves over to um, the cot that Maureen Frayne is is sleeping on at the moment. Naturally, yeah. That's what it's going to want to (laughs) do. My medical opinion now is that this thing is a parasite of some kind. Maybe I can sedate Agatha for for a while, just until we figure out a way to destroy... It's Maureen Frayne who is... I'm sorry, Maureen, yeah. Doc, no offense, that sounds overly cautious. I don't think anybody in the future is going to judge you 
if we eliminate this host right now <laughs> in an abundance of caution. Oh, that's that that's not necessary. I could say I could save her potentially. We could figure this out, and I could save her. If we just need to make sure she doesn't leave here while we're gone. Can we see where it went in? Does it look like it crawled through a nostril or a mouth or something, or did it bury like right into her abdomen? It looks like it crawled towards her abdomen. Maybe we can pull it out of there. Poke around, Doc. See what you find. Maybe I mean like pull her shirt up above her belly button, see if it's still trying to crawl in. Right. There. Yeah. Exactly. You uh, kind of pull her shirt up, and there is, yeah, that little trail of slime that then goes to pretty much just above her navel and then disappears. And there's, but there's no hole or or wound or even, yeah, I mean, there's nothing on the butt, no mark on the body. Dr. Coombs examines and looks for a wound or any mark. You, you, You press her abdomen just where that trail ends and your finger just sinks in through her flesh it's like sticking your finger into a bowl of warm porridge and you can feel something wriggling around down at the bottom let's have a sanity roll I (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah (laughs) appropriate uh, I pass really, really well. It's a, ni- a nine oh, on, a, right. uh, on a 37. Yeah, you're fine then. Keeping your composure, even as your finger is sticking into her abdomen. And what's really, really weird about this is there doesn't seem to be a wound. I, As, as you pull your finger out, there is no indication that you even broke the skin. Holy shit. Oh. Maureen isn't conscious, right? Mercifully, no. Fellas, I, 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 I felt it in there. I, I, it's, it's in there. I, I felt it wriggling around. I, there's a chance I could, I could get it with, with my tweezers. Do you think I should, or do you think we should? Thomas Dolan is shakily handling you, your, your surgical tongs. I, I take them, and that's my goal now, is to try and use my surgical tongs to try and grab the wriggling creature that I felt a second ago. And I'm, my goal is to pull it out. And it, uh, Frederick, get the get the jar ready. The jar didn't do fucking <laughs> nothing last time. Well, let's have a dex roll <laughs> to see how well you pull this off. <laughs> it's a 71 on a 70. <laughs> oh, you no. push it. Push it. Well, you've got a couple of options. You could spend a point of luck on trying to, you know, on changing that to a 70. Alternatively, you could push the roll. So uh, you haven't quite managed to get an angle in there with the the uh, with the forceps. But I mean, if you really push, you could... You could try to force him in. <laughs> I'm going to use the the luck spend. I'm going to spend a point of luck, <laughs> luck to uh, to get the. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so disappointed in you. You're no fun. <laughs> this is a woman's life, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> that that brings my luck down to 19, and yeah, you managed to force the forceps in through the the comparatively small area of her abdomen that's permeable 
but yeah, you managed to get hold of the wriggling creature and pull it out. And yeah, it's, it's writhing around within the forceps and screaming again. Now that you've got it out, it, it does look significantly larger than when you saw it before. It, it's pretty much doubled in size. Doc, I know, um, I know you're on team Team Ja. But what if you just let us smash this thing right now? Is he Rasta? <laughs> Team Jar. Team Jar. I was actually I was actually really proud of how I managed to make that Boston. <laughs> Dr. Coombs is like, you, I no, you're you're right. We can't we can't risk it getting out again. Let's let's destroy this one. And uh, I've got the eggs that I can I can run my tests on. So how are you destroying it? Boot it. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop it on the ground and try and step on it. Okay, give me a luck roll. <laughs> maybe maybe don't drop it. Maybe just place it under your boot. I uh, dudes, I failed with a one hundred. It's a zero zero zero. Okay, so you drop it on the ground and you stamp <laughs> on it, and. There's no resistance, no squishing sound, nothing like that. And when you bring your boot back up, there's no trace of it. Oh! Oh! No! (laughs) 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 I'm lifting up my foot. It, did, did it get out from under? I don't. It's. I don't see it. It's not. Where is? I'm shaking my head and and looking at you sideways and passing the tongs <laughs> to you. <laughs> it's like your foot was the jaw. Doc, I'm not pulling this thing out of your foot. You mean? What do you feel though, as you realize that this thing has crawled inside your flesh? Is perversely, you have a sense of immense well-being. For some reason, your spirits are lifted, and, yeah, you feel almost a surge of, of hope and just this this lightness in your heart that hasn't been there for a long time. And, yeah, let's break there. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Holy oh, shit. Man. <laughs> oh, Scott, this is dope. Life surreal in retrospect a dream. Easy times feel less than serene.